Thanks for joining us for podcast number 32. What we've got is Craig McClure calling in on a Skype call, and we're going to be chatting about the ASAP testing that Ronan and the Cracker Jack group just completed and presented at ITERS 2019. And this is the ASAPs on the Reeve lines in place of Prussics. So without any further ado, here's Craig. All right, so we've got Craig McClure on the line from the Cracker Jack group, formerly of Bend, Oregon, and currently in Colorado. And we're going to have a talk about his award-winning presentation at Eiders 2019. He seems to have gotten, what was it, the best in show there, Craig? Yeah, so that's a, yeah, we'll just, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> the best um, in it, show. It, was, it wasn't just me, let's be, let's be square. I, I was the one who had to present it, but it was a, uh, it was about eight people uh, involved in in making this testing happen. Right on. So, um, give us a little bit about yourself for people that don't know you. Oh, all right. Um, that don't know me, so I actually get to leave a good impression here. I don't have to tell the truth. That's it. Uh, no, you're never going to talk to anybody, anyways. <laughs> excellent. Yeah, they try to keep me out of the public eye. So, yeah, I, I spent uh, most of my, what, last 10 years in Bend, Oregon, and a few months ago, we decided to bail out of there. We're now in, uh, in uh, southwest Colorado, and I run a kind of a boutique training company called the Cracker Jack Group. Uh, we specialize uh, on kind of critical analysis training and, and team training, uh, not so much cookie-cutter work. I think our specialty really is making making good teams better teams. Uh, we try to bring them the newest techniques and the best ideas um, and, and the most appropriate equipment to do the job. Uh, we don't really have a formula. We just present them the options, try to walk them through what the pros and cons are, uh, and then give them an opportunity to pick, kind of pick the best solution for how they work. Uh, me, I have about 16 years in, in, in rope work and wilderness search and rescue, a few years on the law enforcement side. Um, and now I'm I'm at this full time and having a blast. Right on. And uh, we met up, I guess, a year or so ago now. Yeah, we were we were introduced in Sisters, Oregon. There yeah. you go. And we decided that this ASAP use for Reeve line failure arrest was the way to start going. So, I guess it really kind of came that that. You saw you were at GRIMP, the first North America GRIMP, uh, and this method was employed by teams. Uh, it actually got put in CMC's video, and a few and, and pictures went online. And both of us started getting questions from from clients saying, "Is is this? Should we do this? Should we try this? What do you think? Is it safe?" And we had our gut feelings, and we we had some kind of some anecdotal experience. But neither of us could find real-world testing on actual systems to find out if it worked. So uh, we figured we would we would put some testing together and prove our own hypothesis that it was going to be a miserable failure. Um, and you'll see that really wasn't quite true in the end. Okay, so just so the people out there in uh, audio land know what we're talking about, we're talking about using ASAPs or ASAP locks in our case under the testing in place of Prusiks on your reeve line of your high line. So either your Norwegian or your English reeve running a set of ASAPs up there. 
so that if the reeve line fails where you would generally in the past land on your prusik under the kootenai highline system in this case you would land in on your asap and so yeah we've got the two asaps running on either side of the pulley that is attached to the rescue package underneath the reeve line so just so the people that are out there kind of understand where we're going at with this yeah and i i completely understand the desire to want to go this way using the hardware in this fashion it really does seem to overtask an attendant to tell them to to manage a litter, manage movement, pay attention to a patient. Oh, and keep your hands on these prostics and make sure they're going to grab if the reeve line fails. Uh, and when we looked at the system, we really figured that worst case scenario was having a failure between where the ASAP sit uh, and the pulley at the bottom. So. Yeah, granted, it's probably a very unlikely event, but if we're going to put a system in play, let's at least know its limitations. Absolutely. So what was the hypothesis that we came up with you, you came up with on this? Oh, the hypothesis was we we're going to deck the load several times, and then we were going to get to put the video out and say, see, see how right we were? This doesn't work. And that, I mean, from a straight point of view, you, both you and I were pretty much they thought 100% that that's what was going to happen, that we were going to deck these loads. Yep. So um, it was interesting. Um, yeah. There was some concerns with it. Uh, what were those? some of those concerns? And I can give you some hints here because I've got your PowerPoint in front of me if you need it. Oh, I'm not going to let you sandbag me. I've got it going too. All uh, right. Dad. So the first is what we called run distance. And this is Petzl doesn't actually tell you how far an ASAP goes before it locks. It, they tell you that, it, that it, at about two and a half meters per second in acceleration it wants to lock, but we didn't have that calculated to a run distance. So our first concern was if there's a failure between the ASAPs and this limited rope distance down near the pulley, is there enough rope ref, left to grab? And I'm going to interject here because it's interesting you say that. I mean, we've heard everything from two and a half to three and a half meters per second on the ASAP or the ASAP lock. When I've done some of my rope access training, different providers have said I need at least 18 inches of rope in order to allow that run distance. Yet, like you say, there isn't anything out there. No, there there really isn't anything definitive. Um, and in the in the even recent conversations with Petzl, their statement is it's about two and a half meters a second. But you can look around, and I know even Delaney's done some testing on this. Um, it's an acceleration issue. That thing, that thing works like a, like a seatbelt retractor lock, right? So the faster it goes, the faster it accelerates, the sooner those weights get thrown to the outside and lock up the device. And as you know, I mean, you can uh, – actually, I've seen it. You can have someone just below threshold – of speed on an ASAP have a very, very fast, dangerous descent before it locks. Yes. You have to get that acceleration to get it to lock. All right, other concerns. Uh, the second one is we were concerned that if you cut a rope and then you have an ASAP grab near the cut, is there a problem uh, with loss of sheath and core integrity? So what that means, if the ASAP grabs and the row isn't cut, is the sheath just going to pull down over the core and not have enough to grab and the ASAP pop off the end? Um, we're also concerned that 
especially in a high line, we're working with tension systems. When we cut the rope, those ropes want to pull back towards the anchors as they retract and they go back to their natural length. And is that going to cause an issue with, with distance to grab? Um, and that actually turned out to be a positive for us. We'll get into that a little bit later. Okay. Um, for the next slide that we're looking at, you got some setup and measurement. Do you want to just go through and talk about how we set this up and, you know, and even some of the stuff like we talk about acceleration and, you know, maybe some hints of stuff we're looking at in the future. I see the loads that we have here. Do you think lesser loads may play a different outcome in this? So let's look at the setup that we did and maybe answer that question. Yeah, so load load was significant, and that came up in our limited testing. Granted, we only had nine drops here, so we don't have a massive sample size, but we did have fairly conclusive results from those nine. The first in our setup is, is we didn't just want to drop on a vertical line. We know the ASAP works in that situation. It works well. It's worked for years that way. So we wanted to set up a, a tensioned functional high line system with a reaving system. Uh, and because uh, we were cheap and in a small space, uh, we chose a Norwegian reeve, so we didn't have to cut off so much sacrificial rope with each test. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we had an accurate load simulation. So we picked 200 kilograms, which should be patient rescue or litter. And that was just 200 kilograms of place and packed in a haul bag. And then because we were wondering how acceleration and mass played into it, we ran the same series of tests with 100 kilograms. And I like that test because, Mark, as you and I talk a lot, um, don't put more load in your system than you have to. And we might find a system that's functional for one person and not functional for two. Yep. Or um, vice versa. Correct. Uh, and then what we measured was we measured that the pre-tension in each track line, the tension in the reeve line, how far the devices ran in each failure, um, so how long it took them to lock, uh, if any device slipped. So as we like to rig our tension systems now, we put in force-limiting devices, uh, devices in all our lines. We use clutches and IDs. We want to make sure that we didn't exceed their force, which is usually somewhere in that six kilonewton range. And we also uh, use the uh, uh, ASAP absorber access uh, lanyard, and we, we wanted to check to see if that lanyard deployed at any point to reduce force. So we had a lot of measurements for each one. Yeah, and uh, the little star on the PowerPoint besides the haul bag makes me do a shout out to uh, that black diamond haul bag. <laughs> I was really quite impressed. It went through this testing and then Ristow's testing, and I'm yeah. still using it on a mountain right now. Yeah, I could use more. So if anyone at Black Diamond's listening, we'll continue to use the haul bags because those things were bomber. They were yes. pretty unbelievable. Yeah. So um, with the load itself, we can get into some of the results. Did you suspect, though, going into it that you may get different results between 100 and 200 kilogram load? Or what was your thoughts moving into that? Um, I... I wasn't, I didn't think there'd be a significant difference. Um, I, I knew we'd see difference in what forces we imparted to the, to the track lines when we failed the reeve line, but I really didn't think it would impact the lock of the ASAP that much. And that, that's important because what we found in the testing here is that 
is centimeters matter. Uh, <laughs> in, in some of the testing, <laughs> the difference between five centimeters and seven centimeters was the difference between catching and not catching. So that variance in load, doubling the load, even if it doesn't seem like a significant difference, when you're running these ASAPs on these reeve lines and you let that ASAP get low, your distance to catch may only give you 10 centimeters of rope to work with. That 10 centimeters is very significant. And, you know, because this is, you know, a PG rated show, we'll just leave it at inches matter and not go any further into that. <laughs> I said centimeters matter. I did yeah. a Canadian for you. Um, so just some terms so that when we're talking and the people out there are listening, can you just go over what you considered the long side and the short side and what you considered ASAP high and ASAP low, just so that when we start talking about the testing, people have that in their mind? Yep. So since we had a Norwegian reeve, uh, there's a difference in the rope and service on each side of the reeve pulley. So the rope that terminated at the carriage, we referred to as the short side because I had less rope and service. And the side from the pulley that went back to the control point at the anchors, we called the long side. Uh, and, and I know we're, there are probably terms for this. We just made up our own. And then we thought it was important to measure where the ASAPs were in the system. The ASAP locks behaves better than the older ASAP. It doesn't want to creep down the rope as fast as the older ASAP. But in use, it will slide down the rope. And obviously, on a high line, you can't lock it to hold it in place because it's going to lock the movement of your system. So we ran our tests with the ASAP high, which is the lanyard all the way extended, or the ASAP low with the lanyard slack and the ASAP allowed to drift down on top of the pulley. And that's that's a significant difference. Uh, that was a 20 to 30 centimeter difference in available rope. Absolutely. So a handful of tests nine in total um basically four with the 200 kilogram low asap cut um low and high and then 100 kilogram load asap cut low and high and then one with prussics just for fun at the end pretty much sum it up there yes exactly so we ran we ran 200 100 kilograms and we we accounted each variable which was did we cut the higher or the low side? And we did, did we allow the ASAPs to be high or low? Uh, what we didn't do was enough tests to have one ASAP high and one ASAP low uh, and, and cut both sides that way. That's in the future for us as, as well as a little bit different testing. And I'm really glad we did that last test. Uh, that last test on Prusiks was, was interesting. And, and to really kind of, you know, spoil the story here, that's the only time we sent the load to the ground. That was that was illuminating. Yeah, we'll talk about that when we get into it a little bit because people will be questioning how we ran it, but we'll get and there in you, a second. If you fix your roof yet where we shot the pulley into it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shh. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So um, do you want to go through each test or do you want to kind of do a summary of them? What's your uh, what's your preference on it? Uh, I think each each test is going to get a little boring. So yeah. um, here, here's really kind of what we found when we cut each one. So what we did was we set up, we set up, each, we set up each system the same based on those eight, the, those eight different variables in the test, ASAP high, ASAP low, cut high side, cut low side, 100 or 200 kilograms. We set up the system, we tensioned the track lines, 
this this naturally tension the reeve line where the load wanted to hang and then we all we did was we put a guy on a ladder with a with a pole and a razor knife um but he was on an osha approved ladder wearing a helmet so we were all good and we had him cut just on top of the pulley again we wanted to recreate what we thought was kind of worst case scenario which was a failure right at that middle point um so of our eight tests with the ASAPs, in six of the eight tests, we caught on both ASAPs, which was a which was a fantastic result compared to our initial hypothesis, which was for abject total failure. And let me just interject here. So when you say we caught on both ASAPs, you're telling me the ASAP would have been running in opposite directions on both. One would be up, one would be down theoretically, and it both caught. Yeah. Yes. So this is ASAPs used in this location are actually pretty kind of ingenious in how they operate because they're redundant. When they're when they're at the bottom of a of a tensioned reeve line, the load is moving down rope and the ASAPs are in the proper orientation. Um, so you have opportunity for either one to catch the load. So we might think that, you know, catching on both is what's necessary. That's actually redundant. We have opportunity for either one to save dropping the load. There you go. So, sorry, carry on. Um, we had two that only caught on one. And where that happened was when we allowed the ASAPs to both run low, when we cut on these against one of those ASAPs, whichever side we cut on when both were low, that's the side we didn't get a catch on. Uh, and that, that makes sense. Right there, if you look at the video, we are cutting the rope right at the bottom of the ASAP. The ASAP and the pulley are touching, and we're cutting between the two. So the ASAP has two to three centimeters of available rope below it to catch on. It, it seems logical that's probably not going to work. But what did happen was the other side did catch. And that other side really only had 7 to 10 centimeters rope to work with. All it had was the difference of what went around the pulley. And this came up in discussion after we presented this at Eiders. When we do more testing, one of the mitigations we may find is that a certain diameter pulley sheave may be all that's required to make sure you get a catch that may in, insert enough rope and service that it works every time. So we're going to test that as well. Um, we had another really kind of fascinating moment. We were very concerned about rope and service and the sheath to core integrity. And we had one ASAP catch uh, in one of these low side cuts. And I think it, I think that had about three and a half centimeters run distance. Um, and it actually caught, we couldn't see the rope coming out the bottom of the ASAP. We had to turn it over and look inside. And we have a picture in the presentation uh, where that, that rope, what's left, the tail, is at the apex of the wheel inside the ASAP, and it still held. It was impressive how well that caught. And that was, yes. Um, the, actually, the, the maximum force we saw, which I was pretty surprising, um, at the load was only four kilonewtons, actually 4.1. Uh, 
And at that max load with the bounce, that was the only time we had a lanyard deployment on the ASAPs as well. And all it did was tear the first row of stitching. So it tore out about two and a half centimeters of force reduction. Yeah, 2.5 centimeter deployment with a 4.1 KN input. So yeah. that is a fairly low input. Yes. Um, and, and we're still, um, this would actually kind of go to your, your partner Kevin's testing on the, on the spring constant on, on highline failures. Um, we weren't, we weren't exceeding the, exceeding the six kilonewtons at either end and having devices slip. So still dropping, dropping two, dropping 200 kilograms in the middle. Um, there's enough rope and service, enough stretch that we still weren't overly stressing the system. Okay. Um, a couple of the points here. I just want you to make comment if you don't mind. Uh, keeping the ASAP high resulted in actuation distances at five centimeters and under. So what was the minimum catch that we had in regards to rope and service or actuating distances for that ASAP? Ooh, I think that was about the, the shortest is about three and a half centimeters. Um, generally we were running up into about seven to 10 when we were going through the pulley. I mean, a rope, an available rope and service. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, if you're going around the pulley, the, the shortest rope and service again is when we had this absolute worst case failure of the ASAP sitting low on the pulley and the rope failing at the top of the pulley. Um, we're essentially cutting the rope right at the bottom of the ASAP. Absolutely. Um, um, sorry, go ahead. With 200 kilograms, I think our run distances um, tended to be, some, be, you know, like that three and a half to five centimeters. No, what run distances um, on the 200 were five to seven centimeters at the max side. And when we cut it down to a hundred kilogram mass, uh, those run distance, distances dropped on average by about two centimeters. So as we said earlier, and Mark will giggle when I say it again, centimeters matter. Exactly. Uh, but they, they mattered only in this really kind of obscure scenario where you had a failure so close to the device. Okay. Um, allowing the ASAP to ride low resulted in longer actuating distances and greater max arresting forces. So we just talked about the actuating distances. Now talk about the max arresting forces. What kind of spikes did we see in that? So actually, I want to go, I want to hit on that a little bit more than the question you asked. Okay. Uh, when, when you allow the ASAP to ride low, you get slack in the lanyard. And the ASAP can't lock until it's accelerating. And it can't accelerate until that lanyard goes to full length and the load starts to pull down. So there's more time and more rope movement happening before you can before the ASAP will lock up because that lanyard has to go tight. Uh, so that was kind of, that's the deficiency we were seeing in letting the ASAP sit low. But the other fascinating thing I found in watching these videos was there are there are three forces acting to lock the ASAP. Um, the, the first is just the, just the cutaway, that, that initial movement of cutting starts to move rope. The load starts to fall, so the, the ASAP is being pulled in one direction by the load. 
but what we hadn't considered and, and is really was effective in, in, in creating really fast lockups was this detensioning of the reeve line is pulling rope upwards through the ASAP. So if you think about it, you can lock an ASAP two ways. You can grab it and pull down, or you can hold it in place and pull the rope up. And in these failures, we're getting both of those movements, which is creating pretty rapid relative acceleration. Um, so the maximum arrest forces, um, I'd have to pull up the actual data. I don't know if you have it there in front of you, Mark. No, uh, I don't. Ballpark is fine. Yeah, so, so ballpark was we were pre-tensioning to one to one and a half kilonewtons per per uh, track line. Um, and we never saw greater than greater than four on any of them. I think I think that's where we were. I'd have to go back and double check. Um, yeah, because at the four one we started to get the deployment of the lanyard and we only deployed one lanyard. Yeah. And we did have one instance where our our measurement guy reported one centimeter of slip on an ID, but that was at like 3.9 kilonewtons, which tells me I think we probably had a measurement error there, not actual slippage, because an ID shouldn't be slipping at that force. No. Um, but we were never hitting forces in the five, six, seven, eight kilonewton range that that would be damaging in a system or cause devices to start to slip. That really wasn't the issue in our testing. Okay, so I'm just gonna go keep going through the slides and then I've got some follow-up questions. But uh, so where do we go next? Where are the, uh, where, where, where do we wanna go to next with this? Uh, I think it, one, it needs more. And it makes me nervous that people saw this test and think, oh God, it works, we can do it. Let's everyone do this. Um, I don't wanna be responsible for that decision yet. Um, we need to do some more work. And the first is we need to uh, suck up loss of rope. And, and I know we've had a couple manufacturers already step up and say, don't worry about breaking rope on this. We want to see the testing. Um, we need to run this on, a, on an English reeve. Um, the Norwegian reeve, that short side, was a very consistent catch. It, there's not a lot of stretch there. The rope isn't pulling away very quickly. Pardon? It's a static line, right? Yeah, it's a static line. It's exactly how the ASAP is to be designed to use, which is a vertical static line. So we're going to run this uh, on English Reeve, which is maybe more likely to cause failure on both sides and make sure that our initial testing wasn't too skewed because we used Norwegian Reeve. Uh, we're going to increase our span distances. Our span distance was in uh, Ronin's shop there in BC, and we had about 45 feet of rope in service. Uh, we need to open this up and start to push it towards functional high line distances, uh, which is going to create, you know, introduce more rope stretch and more movement. Um, I think it's actually going to work in our favor. That's my hypothesis there. Um, we need Some to start running down. <laughs> Pardon? Some foreshadowing. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we haven't done it, but I think that's I think that's where it's headed. Um, but remember. The first round of testing, our hypothesis was for total failure, so I wouldn't trust our, our working hypothesis before we go into anything. Um, we need to run this on a lot of different ropes, and that, that's just going to be a, a function of, of time and number of tests we can run. Um, but again, we have, we have commitment from manufacturers, facilities, and people to make this happen. Um, we need to run different manufacturers, and as you know, 
we did all this on what should be 11 mil rope, but 11 mil can be, can have pretty good variance, um, on its, on its size. And, um, rope is also measured under diameters measured under tension. So different ropes behave differently when they lose tension in in their diameter. So we want to push on that. Uh, and then we want to, um, get some more numbers on where, how high that ASAP needs to be to get, to get super reliable catch. Um, again, we caught every time six out of eight, we caught on two and the other two we caught on one. Um, but we want a whole bunch more samples, um, and some reliability numbers before we think we're comfortable saying, Hey, take this operational. Absolutely. But I can tell you like on the limited testing and what we saw at Prusix, if you were to ask me, um, Hey, we're going to, we're going to run a high line. Uh, reaving system and you can pick ASAPs or Prusix and you get to gamble your life on one, I know which one I'd pick right now. So you mentioned the Prusix and I'll bring that up and people are like, wow, did you have the Prusix tight, didn't you? We took an individual at Ronan that doesn't have a lot of experience with Prusix and that's kind of funny coming from an old school rescuer like you or I where Prusix were the bread and butter of what we did for decades. Um, And so a guy that doesn't have a lot of experience with Prusix He's never run a high line with Prusix. He's always run a double reeved high line. So running Prusix on a high line was completely new to him. We had him operate the Prusix up and down a few times so that they were at a spot where he was comfortable with them. And then we just said hands off, backed up and dropped the load. And that's when we decked the floor with it. Is there anything I'm missing in there, Craig, just for the... the so, yeah, so we gave him a little bit of coaching. What we said was you need to manage those Prusix tight enough that you think they'll they'll catch you if it fails but the system still has to be able to move back and forth so he was hands-on trying to find that perfect middle ground as we ran the system back and forth and that's that's the variability in prusix they're they're very operator dependent and we were using some supple prusik like i wasn't using or we were not using eight mil cordage as prusik we were using prusik cords some fairly supple pre-sewn, pre-built, manufactured for that purpose Prusik cord, if I recall correctly. Yeah, what I would expect to come out of almost any operational kit if you went to some agency and said, hand me two, hand me two Prusiks. I think yeah. they're pretty representative. Um, um, pulley size, just for the listener, what size pulley do you remember? Was it a two and a half we were running on this particular testing? Uh, it was a, I think, what, what was that an older Sterling? It was out of your... Um, I'm trying to find a close-up picture of it. Yeah, it looks like an SMC or I want to say an SMC two and a half. So just so people know, because we did talk a little bit about variability in the pulley size. So just what we did the testing on was a two and a half. Yep. And and again, to kind of drive back at that pulley size, the the circumference of the pulley. Um, directly computes to how much rope is in service below, below the ASAP when, when it's sitting low. And, and that may be a signi- that, that pulley may be a limiting factor. Right on. Um, anything else from you on this? Any other thoughts or comments? Uh, again, I was, I was really surprised by the results. Uh, I'm glad we did it. This seems to have, this seems to have stirred the pot in a good way uh, that we're, we're maybe pushing towards innovation. And if we're not pushing towards innovation, 
um, we'll be providing data that says maybe this isn't a good innovation and, and we want to provide that information. Um, I would caution people uh, that look at eight tests to say this is the answer, let's go do it. Um, that you're going to have to decide on your own right now. Uh, but hopefully over the next few months, we'll give you more data and, and larger samples to, to make that decision on. So uh, moving forward, what's on the agenda for Cracker Jack with this and with some training? I know you have an open course coming up with us. And in regards to this testing, throw out uh, your 22 seconds of, um, you know, fame here. Uh, future testing. We're looking at doing this in 2020 and coming up with some more results. Yes, this has to happen in 2020. Uh, we, I, I think we'd almost be negligent if we threw out the initial series and then didn't follow up pretty promptly. Uh, so we're working on getting the resources. Uh, we're going out for some uh, to the manufacturers for some outside validation of our testing and our measurement methods to make sure we're within their specs. Uh, and then we're going to find a time to get it done. Um, this this whole idea kind of drove us uh, with Ronan to a class idea that we're putting on in Long Beach uh, in the end of March, uh, which we're calling Rescuing the Rescuer. Uh, we always talk about what happens when systems like this fail. And even if this ASAP theory works, uh, the next question everyone asks is, well, now how do, you get your, how do you get your patient and your rescuer back? The system has failed and you've locked up an ASAP, what do you do? So this course in Long Beach is designed around us creating these failure scenarios in a safe way and letting the students in kind of a workshop format figure out how do you, how do you fix it? How do you unfubar the problem? Uh, we're really excited because we think the, the real push in this isn't going to be technique. It's going to be the decision-making process. Like when, if you have a failure, when do you reinsert redundancy? Or when do you decide lightning can't strike twice and just finish the evolution and get the load to a safe place? We don't have those answers, but we have a lot of really smart, experienced people coming to this workshop. And our hope is that we, we were able to look at how people make these decisions and maybe come up with some theory on that. And that is, I'm looking at my back wall, March 30th to April 3rd in Long Beach, California, correct? Yep. And... And I think Mark has dropped a few hints. Uh, this, this class has a lot of excitement. We're getting a lot of pull. We're getting people signing up for it pretty quickly. Uh, and you were at A plus A, and we got interest to take this same theory to across the pond so you can tell us what's happening there. Um, the date is not confirmed 100%, but we are looking in July 20 to 24 region of 2020 in Bremen, Germany, to run the same class. So... I do That's know going to be fantastic. There's a bunch of people overseas that do listen to our podcast. So if you're listening and you don't feel like flying to Los Angeles, you can always drive up to Bremen. So that's uh, something that we're looking at over there with uh, Alan Sunshine and Hugo Tripp. So Rope Geeks and Safe Trip for those that know those folks. Uh, for more information on this, what's your website, Craig? Uh, it's thecrackerjackgroup.com. All right, and RonanRescue.com has the yep. testing up on it as well. Anything else you want to throw in here or we sign this off? No, um, the videos are going to go up on YouTube, I think, right now, or they'll be up yep. by the time this podcast goes out. Um, shoot us questions. Uh, if you have ideas on how you think we should test this further, uh, let us know. Um, this, is, this, this is an industry-wide um, 
kind of not problem, but but exploration. So we want other input, we want ideas, and we want to make sure that we aren't drinking our own Kool-Aid. Absolutely. I always love the feedback. Uh, just some thanks to Pencil North America, Rock Exotica, Sterling Rope, obviously Cracker Jack Group, Ronin Rescue, and Awesome the Possum. Pretty much were the people that all came together to make this happen. Specifically, people like Michelle Goulet, Brandon Lane, Steve Petty, Matt Hunt, uh, and then a lot of the Ronin and Cracker Jack staff. So if nothing else, we'll sign her off. All right. Thank you. It's fun. Thank you.